Hey, everybody. You know, Mark and I have over 20 years of experience as therapists and as addicts in long-term successful recovery. We know better than anyone what works and what doesn't to break out of porn and sex addiction, heal betrayal trauma, and reclaim your relationship. And we've poured all of our personal and professional recovery and healing experience into a first-of-its-kind program for addicts, spouses, and couples. We call it Dare to Connect. At least four times every week, we engage with you in real time, in the trenches, giving you the knowledge and the tools to take back your life and relationship. Whatever else you've done on your journey for healing and recovery, you've never done anything like this. You know, Mark and I, we've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to. Don't reinvent the wheel. We all know tomorrow never comes. Look, don't wait one more day to change. Claim your free two-week trial today at daretoconnectnow.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Steve Moore. And I'm Mark Castleman. We know the pain and heartbreak of porn and sex addiction. And we know the triumph of breaking completely free. Every day, we help our clients find hope and healing. Join us in the fight to take back your life, your marriage, and be stronger than ever. This is the PBSC Squared Podcast. Hey, everybody. Mark and Steve here from, coming at you from the PBSC podcast today. Excited to be with you and uh, looking at uh, tackling an interesting topic today. Um, I'm excited to see how this goes and, and, and walk through this with Mark, uh, with all of you. Um, today, we are going to be talking about uh, sexual attraction to your partner um, and, and looking at some hard questions, including you know, if, if, if that attraction is diminished or, is, or you feel like it's lost completely, you know, what happens to the relationship? You know, are we done? And, and I know, Mark, you've got some passionate thoughts and feelings about this and also some pretty relatable stuff to share about it. So I'm excited to kind of just uh, jump right into this with you. Yeah, you, you know, this is, a, this is a really raw and real topic. And, you know, we, you and I kind of debated just a little bit about whether we were going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, and you know, up front, we want to say this, this is, this is, uh, can be a very sensitive topic. Uh, we're not trying to jump on our soapbox and, uh, you know, the thing we, the thing we don't want to create is, is big amounts of shame with this, but it is a, it is a very real part of our relationships today, especially in the culture, you know, the sexualized culture that we've been raised in, the culture of expectations and, all the things that, that we see that are part of this. Yes, so <clears throat> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture out into some really personal space on this and just talk about it from my perspective, uh, because this was, this was a big challenge in my marriage relationship for quite a few years. Mm. And so, what, so when I was, when I was uh, deep into my uh, you know, pornography and sexual addiction years in my marriage, 
which was really, uh, it was about the first 15 years of my marriage. I had kept all of it uh, pretty much a secret from my wife. Mm. I was just scared to death what would happen if it all came out. Our marriage would be over. Uh, legitimately, I didn't want to hurt her. Uh, but also there was a part of me that was in some denial. There was a part of me that was, I didn't have the courage that I, that I needed to have to own my own stuff and, you know, and just come clean with this and get the help that I needed. But one of the things that was a big impact on my marriage relationship was this whole concept of, you know, pure physical attraction, pure sexual attraction. And years and years of pornography use in other parts of sexual addiction had a big impact on that for me. Mm. I, I got into a place right where I started to put my wife into uh, comparison. And you can't help but do that. If, you, if, if yeah. pornography and other related sexual outlets are part of your life, you're going to get into a place by default where you put your partner into a place of comparison. Yes. There's absolutely. just no way around it. That's how the brain works. And so I found, I found myself getting into that a lot. Uh, now, my wife, we have, we have six kids. So uh, to, I like to say my wife is a six-time Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> because <laughs> she's given birth six times. Very nice. But, you know, as we, as we get really, as we get real about that from a purely physical standpoint, our bodies change over time. We're not, I don't know about those of us, those listening, but I can tell you my body's not like it was when I was in my teens and early twenties. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I know you're Steve, you got the washboard abs and. Oh yeah. You, you know me to, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, let's just say, I think, uh, I think phys, the laws of physics have had an impact on, on both of us. Over time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <So. laughs> But but that happens, and so things change physically. Uh, it's just a normal part of life. Uh, you know, my wife uh, when she you know she went through pregnancy, and 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 I I just have such great admiration, by the way, for for women who uh, you know go through that experience of pregnancy and childbirth because in in many ways they sacrifice their bodies. It's that can yeah. be very unkind to a to a female body. Uh, but that that really uh, became uh, that got in the way because I allowed it to when I was deep into my addiction, where I was kind of you know quote sizing my wife up. How does how does she compare in my brain to what I'm seeing in in pornography or you know these airbrushed images, these perfect images? And I found that it started to become a wedge in our relationship. Mm, yeah. Now I didn't tell my wife that, but she's like like all women she's intuitive sure she can sense attitude and energy and a lot of what i was thinking and feeling was even though it wasn't being communicated in words it was being communicated to her in what she was feeling she could feel my disapproval she mm -hmm. could she could see my eyes where they were you know they they would be a certain way when i would see her and she just knew that something wasn't quite right yeah and so it started, it, it actually brought me to the place where I thought, I'm not, I, I don't know that I'm really attracted to this woman. Mm. I don't know that I'm really into her. I don't know if, if you know, there's, where, where are the sparks? Where's the chemistry? And I started, my brain started to bring all of that into question. 
And it got, it got so bad for me that it came to the place where I wondered if we could stay together. Yeah. Because physically, you know, quote, she wasn't measuring up. Uh, sex in the bedroom was not at the place where I, where I thought it should be or expected it to be. Mm. And this started to have a really negative impact on our relationship. And I remember one day, after years of this, I was reading in uh, the New Testament. And mm. this was a really powerful experience for me as I look back. And it was actually, it was actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It was Paul, where Paul talks about what love is. Yeah. And I remember reading these words. And I'm going to, I actually have it up here on my computer. It's actually the New International Version. I like, I like lots of different Bible versions because they all come from a little bit different perspective. And it's fun to look at mm -hmm. all the different ones. And I especially like this one. So here's what I read uh, years and years ago. So it said, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. And as I remember reading those words, it was like the Holy Spirit was kind of reaching out with a, well, in my case, a, a four by four, because that's what it takes to get through <laughs> to me, like a four by four upside my head. It's like, Mark, uh, is what you're feeling towards your wife matching these attributes that you're reading here from Paul? And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> it was, it was quite, uh, it, it was quite impactful. And then the other parts on these same verses that really hit me hard was where he says, he says this, he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Yeah. And so all that definition of real love, and then that, that verse really hit me hard. I was like, whoa. So I'm, I'm acting like I'm this hormone-raged, you know, dopamine-drenched teenager or young adult mm -hmm. here after 15, 20 years of marriage. Maybe it's time for me to grow up. Yeah. And start to realize that there's a whole lot of other areas of attraction and arousal of being close to my wife than what I've allowed my brain and my sexual addiction to teach me. So yeah. that was a that was a real turning point for me. Um, it uh, kind of smacked me in the face. Now things didn't turn around overnight. It wasn't like, oh, yep, I get it now. Everything's different, right? Snap your finger. For sure. There were a lot of years of hard work to turn this around. But that's, that's really what we wanted to address today. If there's any of you out there that are experiencing something similar to this, we wanted to, to offer you some hope, talk about our experiences personally with, with having traveled that path, and what are some specific things that you can do to begin to turn this around? Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I love so much about what you, you shared in the story, Mark, and I appreciate your vulnerability as always. I... I mean, probably the first thing that stuck out to me is this, you know, there's this deep, gosh, how do I even, 
how do I even say it? You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, we, we kind of revisited a topic that we talked about before, right? Attraction versus lust. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about your story and, and how relatable I think it is to all of us who've been caught in addiction to some degree. We, uh, we, we oftentimes operate, I think, as addicts in this business uh, from a car- compartmentalization lens, as we've talked about before, meaning that I can keep the elements of my addiction, right? The elements of lust compartmentalized or separated from my relationship with my wife, from my, from my quote unquote real relationships. Um, and I, I, and, and I, my personal take on that from my own personal experiences is that if that is possible at all, it's not possible for long because you're right. It, sooner or later, it does bleed into and change those other relationships. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a real, I mean, for lack of a better term, there's a real brainwashing that accompanies sexual addiction because it does, it creates all sorts of what we call unrealistic ideals, right? About everything from not just, not just with lust, but relabeling things like attraction, relabeling things like love, right? And taking exclusive components of what it means to be attracted. And then that being subliminated into in place of, well, this is love, right? These couple of different physically oriented elements are, are what determine whether this is a loving, authentic relationship or whether it's not. And if these things aren't present or if that level of passion isn't present, then the love must be diminishing yep. or growing cold, right? Yep. And I mean, as I, as I look at, uh, and that's what we're really talking about today, right, is, is that passion element uh, in a re- relationship. You know, in my experience, uh, passion is, is more so a force that acts upon us whereas love is a force that we choose to act in. Yeah. It's, a, it's something that we choose, right? It's a, it's a choice that we make. Yeah, um, that's, it's really true, right? Passion, yeah. uh, passion chooses us, yes. whereas we choose love. And I, you know, I kind of, I, and that was a big part of my turn. I started to realize, wow, this whole, this whole physical expectation, what some, you know, what my wife has to look like with all of the various measurements and features and whatever, that stuff is all really acting upon me. It's yeah. something I've allowed to dictate to me instead of me acting upon it, right? Yes. Me dictating to it what the parameters are, right? You can act or you can be acted upon. And yes. Boy, does, does lust act upon you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and I think if we're going to talk about this and how to really change it, right, let's go let's talk, talk psychological for a second, right? Let's, yeah. let's get into some of the, some of the clinical stuff here. Um, you know, we've, everybody is born and, and carries with them what we call a sexual arousal template, right? And uh, simply put, as the name probably implies, this is just, these are the things that from a physical sexual standpoint arouse me, right? We all come, I guess you could say, to some degree pre-programmed to that, but we do know that that arousal template is definitely malleable, definitely changes over time, um, is very much a chemically driven organism and is always in a state of kind of evolution. Yes. Uh, as we've talked, we've kind of hit on this before, but one of the big, one of the many, many amongst the litany of dangers with pornography, especially on an individual level, is that it, it rewires the brain in terms of, of creating an unrealistic ideal. There's that term I use again about what is, even if we're just talking on a sexual plane, right? On a physical plane, what is, what is attractive versus not? 
both sexually from a behavioral standpoint, but also just sexual attributes, right? And and creates this this idea in our mind of 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 and and alters really what one becomes attracted to, right? When when we have a sufficient level of exposure to the unreal unrealistic ideals. And yeah, if we stop back and look at that, our, our yes, I, I agree with you that there are there are some of this natural arousal template that we're born with. But I would say a great deal and maybe the majority of how that works is a result of our culture. I would agree with the that. The media, yeah. our peers, uh, the, our family of origin, how this stuff was talked about as we were raised up, you know, the discussions on the playground, the, you know, the pictures we were exposed to, Hollywood's portrayal. There are so many things that that develop and determine this arousal template. Yes. And the thing is, it's not just visual, right? There's all mm-hmm. these expectations that we're, we're led to believe uh, as to what things look like. And by the way, I've had an opportunity through my work uh, clinically and as an interfaith chaplain in that side of my work to work with people all over the world, literally. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that I know firsthand that these arousal templates also uh, are different accord, according to, to, to the geography in the world that you're from. Mm. And it's such a great, it was always been such a great example of, to, to me of how these arousal templates are formed by your culture. So for example, I've, I've had friends and clients uh, from Brazil and South America, right? Where the big obsession for guys is, you know, is, is, uh, is the behind, right? Uh, the, the butt. It's all about this big obsession with that. You look at a lot of places here in the States, and of course, there's this, gig- this outrageous obsession with breasts. Sure. Now you go to China, even to this day, and there uh, is this obsession still with feet. I mean, it's different all over the world and according to how people are raised and brought up. Yeah. And yet we take it for granted. Well, that's just how it is. That's just, I have to have this particular, you know, uh, measurements or anatomy or features or whatever, to, you know, to be attracted. Mm-hmm. Mm, if you stop and look at it, I'll bet a great deal of that has come about because of how the culture that you were programmed within. Yeah. And I've seen that that is so true. And it's amazing yeah, to get absolutely. into discussions with people about that, depending on where they're from. Well, and I'm glad that we're talking about that. I mean, you and I, have, I mean, I know I have, you probably have as well. I've attended, you know, day long trainings on this topic of the, the arousal template. Yes, yeah. What it is and how it works and all that stuff. But I think, I, you know, as I, as I kind of reflect on the impact that it's had on my clients, you know, this discussion we're having as well as, as on my own, uh, my own recovery, I, I am, I guess I, I, I guess I carry a profound sense of gratitude that this thing is changeable. As yes. I look at the many attributes of it, this idea that it is malleable is empowering to me mm-hmm. because so often in our culture, for example, American culture, I know it's this way in many places in the world. Again, we, we operate under this notion that love is less love and love is more passion-based, meaning we're almost like a victim to it, right? It's like something we just can't help or something that we just can't, mm-hmm. can't change. And that, that sells lots of movie tickets. You know, that'll, that'll make a filmmaker a lot of money. That'll bring in a lot um, financially. And it sounds really neat to look at it that way in some respects. There is a romanticism to it. But when we talk about real sustainable long-term love, 
right? Which if we're talking about the difference between passion and love, in many ways, we're talking about the difference between sex and intimacy, as we've talked about before, right? The second one is absolutely something that I choose. And if I can choose that, if I can, if over time I can make changes to my arousal template uh, through a lot of different ways and means we're going to talk about, then all is not lost, right? Yeah. Answering that original question that we're asking, you know, the topic of this episode is, is uh, I'm not sexually attracted to my partner anymore. Are we done? That's yep. scary stuff. It is scary. Face. Because if I'm a victim to my, my arousal template, then yeah, I'm screwed. Right. I'm, I'm in real trouble when it comes to being able to be attracted to my partner. Um, but there is so much more to this, first of all, than just the sexual arousal component. But also, in addition to that, be, even though you addicts, those, those of us and Mark and I throw ourselves in that, that uh, ring, even though we know and you know that uh, your arousal template can go to a pretty surface, very sexually based oriented lust-based place it can be taken out of that place yes um, as you go through the recovery process hey everybody mark and steve here are you looking to take your recovery and your marriage to the next level we work with individuals and couples one-on-one With both in-person and online therapy options, you have access to the experts anytime, anywhere. To learn more, visit us at pbscpodcast.com. And, you know, the other thing to remember, and this this helped me to be a little bit more self-compassionate, in yeah. the early days and also to and also to feel more empowered the thing to remember is these arousal templates that we've built through years and years of repetition in this sexualized culture it's not just visual it's not just mm-hmm. images it's also chemical the yes. arousal template has a chemical signature to it so when i'm exposed to really powerful visual images they're extreme they're novel they're always changing they're switching up right? I have access at the push of a button, you know, thousands upon thousands of them. This creates a huge release in my brain of really powerful chemicals, dopamine, uh, lots of testosterone, endorphins, all of these brain chemicals that give me this feeling, this high. My arousal template becomes very much a chemical template. Mm, So that when I see those kinds of images, my brain has an expectation that it's, it's going to become aroused by them and it's going to release these amazing chemicals. I like to call it, it's like visual cocaine or visual mm. heroin. My problem in my early marriage and my addiction days is my poor wife was actually trying to compete with that. Oh, yeah. She's trying to compete with my visual heroin. I she's doubt there's never a wife. Gonna win, yeah, she's never going to win that competition. Yeah, I doubt there's a wife out there that can't relate to that not a single listener that we've got who hasn't either felt that pressure or actually bowed to it, right. Trying to compete with the addiction or what, uh, what the husband is, is choosing to expose himself to. Right. And I, and I actually allowed my brain to come to the place where it's like, I don't know if I can stay married to this woman because I just don't get the charge. Yeah. The big high, the big arousal from her that I do these other things. Well, Mm -hmm. it's not possible. You can't. 
And the other crazy part was my brain was telling me, well, you just need a different, a woman who looks different and then you will get the charge from her. Mm -hmm. Well, you find out very quickly that that doesn't work either because the lust-based, pleasure-driven, chemical-driven part of the brain is insatiable. It is, it can never be satisfied because it starts to habituate. It starts to normalize so that the same images, no matter how, amazing or attractive they are, won't arouse you any longer. And you have to go searching for something else. Yeah. And that became really apparent to me in my addiction. It's like, this is a losing battle. I'm never going to find the quote, you know, the magical woman who's going to have, you know, every, every physical attribute that will finally do it for me. It's not possible. No, absolutely. Well, and, and if we're talking about, you know, the, this arousal template, right? Let's take the sexual piece off of the front and let's just look at the overall arousal template, right? A lot of the guys that I think are, who are listening here are probably very much oriented towards the sexual, but I think it's important. And we're going to talk about this in in an assignment here in a little bit, but the thing that you got to ask yourself, you, you guys, you addicts who are listening is, you know, what do you find attractive? You know, have you ever really looked at that? Have you ever really given that pause? I mean, we bow to it so often as addicts, right? We just get carried away in it in lots of different respects. But are we actually, are, you know, what, what do we find attractive, right? What kind, of, what kind of woman do I want to be with? What are her other characteristics and attributes? Yeah, it's great when she's physically attractive and there should be that spark and all that stuff that we talk about on here all the time. But what are the other elements? If you look at your partner now, for those of you who are with somebody, right? What are they, what do you find attractive about them? When you look at your partner, what else comes to mind? I think that there's a, the first step in changing this, right, is, is really getting in touch with that side and starting to recognize not only what am I attractive to currently or attracted to currently, but what would I like to be attracted to, right? How would I like that to change? Um, As Mark said at the beginning of this, you know, when I became a when I uh, became a man, I put away childish things, right? You got to ask yourself, guys, if you get real, do you want to be led around by the nose based on a woman's breast size? Do you want to be sitting, you know, in a, in a room with, with, with an attractive woman there and have your whole mind become consumed? Again, that, you have to ask yourself, what kind of, what kind of uh, arousal do you want to experience? Do you want to be able to be around attractive women be able to appreciate who they are, their physical characteristics, and at the same time, not go to lust or not be a letter around by that. Be able to appreciate uh, those people that you come in contact in your life in, in wholeness, right? For who they are, the whole holistic picture, as opposed to this one simple area. Yeah, there's, and that's the thing I had to learn, and it took me a long time, is there are a whole lot of other things to be aroused by and attracted to than just the physical body. Oh, yeah. It's only one small piece of the puzzle. And I, you know, I I had a couple of guys over the years that really started to teach this to me in some powerful ways. And uh, maybe I can share a a couple of those really quick. Yeah, I had I had a colleague uh, uh, who was a specialist in sexual addiction. He was actually a recovering uh, sex addict himself and had been at it for many, many years. I, I think when this story came along, he'd probably been a clinician for 30 years. And sadly, unfortunately, his wife contracted uh, breast cancer. She had a double mastectomy. 
And he, he actually shared this story with me uh, uh, personally. And he said, he said, Mark, there I was in the hospital with my wife. And instead of, instead of the typical, uh, you know, anatomy that I was accustomed to and that the world says is attractive, my wife, uh, her breasts were gone and she just had these two horrific scars. And he said, I had a choice to make. I could let that destroy our relationship. Or he said, or I could, I could literally step into a place of power and change my own arousal template. And I was, I was blown away as he described the process, three days in that hospital, as he literally began to, through, through uh, conscious choice, uh, the thoughts that he played on the stage of his mind, the, the compassion and kindness and intimate connection he felt with his wife, he literally changed the way he felt about the visual image of her, her chest. Mm, and he said, yeah. those scars literally became arousing to me. Her courage, all the yeah. things that we had shared together, this wonderful beautiful, amazing woman who was lying in this bed fighting for her life. And those scars became, uh, they became like um, monuments to her greatness. Yeah. My whole mindset changed about it. And I literally felt myself attracted to her because of them, not in spite of them. And I was like, wow, like, dude, really, you, you did that. You literally changed mm. your own arousal template in the hospital. Yeah. And it was, I was just, it was so impressive to me. I, I can't begin to describe it. It changed, changed my whole mindset. I love that story. I, I know who you're referring to and, and it really is empowering and, and amazing. Um, and I think it's indicative of what a lot of us, I know Mark, you and I have talked about this extensively, what, what those of us who have been through the recovery process have have learned. It's just one of many beautiful attributes about recovery. It's, it's so much more about not acting out, not masturbating, not looking at porn, not, you know, having illicit relationships. It's, it's about being able to be empowered to, to choose one's direction, right? Again, I can choose to love. I can choose to, to not just be acted upon. Um, and when I start to take in and begin to practice mindfulness, which we've talked about much in the past, but also appreciating a person for their whole being. Um, I, I, you know, I, speaking to my own experience, I know I've shared this before. I, when I look at my wife, I mean, we've been married 16 years. I think she's object, just from an objective standpoint, like from a third party standpoint, I think most would consider her to be attractive, but after 16 years, you know, gravity and physics and everything else is not kind to people right over time. Um, of course, that attraction, that physical attraction is going to evolve. We've been together a long time. As far as newness and novelty goes from like a sexual standpoint, there, there really isn't much there. But when I look at my wife and I think about those similar things that you describe, right? A lifetime that I have built with this person uh, the fact that uh, all of the things that we've been through, all the things that I've put her through that she has stuck around with. I tell people often, my, my wife has taught me more about the atonement of Christ than any scripture, church leader, ecclesiastical, whoever, um, because it's been from a real world experience. And when I look at my wife and I think about those things, 
and her true self, right? This, what I believe to be a daughter of God who could be with anybody. And the fact that for some, for some unknown, unfathomable reason, she chooses to be with me. I don't know how I, I don't know how you can't be attracted to that, you know, know. being in that place right. when you take that all into account. Yeah. And this is, you know, this was, this is the part that's so empowering for all of us. I have a little phrase I use uh, with my clients sometimes called to do is to become. Mm. And if we look at, if I look at my addiction, for example, the reason that I developed these attitudes towards my life, my wife's physical appearance and being, uh, being uh, negative about that it was just simply through repetition with, with pornography and sexual outlets, right? To do is to become. I became, my attitude developed in the way that it did where I became critical of her and, and her physical side because of pure repetition of doing over years and decades. Well, if that's mm. true, the thing that got me into that mess, the same process can get me out, and it's called simple rest repetition, doing something different to become different. Yeah, that's what's happened with my wife and I now after all these years, man, when she walks into a room, uh, it's like the world stops and I just see her and I'm just like, wow, she's something. Yep. And that's not her physical appearance, although she she's an attractive woman, but it's everything else. It's everything we've shared, everything we've been through. Yeah. Now, when I look at her, I, I, I not only see that, I feel it. I feel it's like, wow, wow, the whole of her. When I behold the whole of her, I am blown away. And yeah. that's how I'm aroused by that. I'm attracted to that. That is, that is just super cool to me. Well, and I think, I think, you know, what we're talking about here is as I, I'm kind of reflecting on my addiction days. So kind of speaking to my own experience before recovery, I thought I knew what attraction was. I thought I was an expert in it. Right. I know. Right. Just like, Oh, I could tell you, you know, I can break that down. My, my brain had metaphorical PhDs on the wall, right. Saying physically, we know exactly what we like. Right. (laughs) I was like a wino who was just refined, uh, you know, 69 Chardonnay. That's what I, that's what I, you know, I just had it dialed into a science, you know, yeah. and, and as I've been able to go through recovery and, and the men that I work with have been able to do the same. And you start to, you start to really see a person for who they are, not just their physical characteristics, although those are valid, but pairing it with the, all these other amazing components of the person that you're with. I'll tell you, not in a bragging way, as a guy who has been sexual in far too many situations for that he that he'd care to admit and and has and has gone to too many dark corners of addiction that he'd care to admit there is nothing at the bottom of any of those barrels that even compares to what we're talking about right now totally because, agreed. B- because that is that sort of attraction is isn't just that type of passion that will fizzle over time as mark indicated that is you know we we talk all the time about recovery being sustainable Love in your marriage, attraction in your marriage is 100% attainable and sustainable and growable, right? It's, yes. It can evolve. It can grow. It can change. It can, it, I can honestly say, I mean, you and I have talked about this before. I, I truly do feel more attracted to my wife now than I ever did in high school when I first knew her because that attraction runs so much, so much deeper 
instead of having one or two roots, it's got, you know, a whole network that's been, that's been created over, over a lifetime of experience. Well, and the, and the thing we invite all of our listeners to look at, because we've been so steeped in the physical, the visual, in the cultures that we're raised in, we don't recognize often all the many, many different ways that we are attracted to each other. So uh, I had, a, in fact, I had a client uh, I was working with uh, uh, quite a while back that made such a, such a powerful statement. He was talking about the fact that, you know, I'm just not attracted to my wife. I don't know if the attraction was ever there. Mm, yeah. and, and we were kind of discussing. I said, well, tell me about your wife. And he started to talk about her, not the physical aspects or, or, or the, you know, sex in the bedroom, but all the things about her as a holistic human being. And the bottom line was, he said, she's my best friend. I think she's the greatest person I've ever known. And it was so amazing to point out to him. I said, do you hear yourself? Do you hear what you're saying? You're married to your best friend. You think that this is the most amazing person that walks the earth. Compassionate, kind, smart, intelligent, giving, wise. All of these things that he described. Mm -hmm. I said, do you know how many people would give their, their right arm to be married to that person? Yeah. But you're so caught yeah. up in your wiring to just the physical or the sexual that you can't even see it. You're, you're, yeah. you're not noticing most of who she is. And so as, as he started to take a look at that and started to become aware and mindful, his arousal template began to change. Yeah, most people out there don't realize you're more attracted than you probably imagine, than you probably mm -hmm. even realize. You yeah. just don't see it because your culture has blinded you to focus on one tiny part of the puzzle, the physical mm -hmm. and the sexual. Well, what about the other 98%? Yeah. What's that about? Absolutely. Yeah, there's a whole a whole depth to relationships that you're missing over time. And, and it should be noted. I mean, we're one, we're just scratching the surface on this, but think about your other relationships as well, because this, this concept is globally applicable, not just in our romantic relationships, but in our non-romantic relationships. How does your brain gauge the people around you? Hmm. Are, you know, do you, do you find yourself breaking them down just into categories based on physicality or one isolated attribute or some, or what can this person do for me? Or are you able to de-objectify them, to humanize them, to really see them for who they are? Because recovery is so much more about not just changing even, even our relationships and not just getting away from sexual dysfunctionality. It's about really being able to connect, as we talk about all the time on this podcast. It's, it's real recovery is, is not sobriety. Real recovery is connection. Yes. And, uh, uh, and I, we, we, again, we know we've kind of scratched the surface on this, but uh, as yet again, we've, we valiantly tried to hit a half hour and <laughs> well, um, we haven't given the assignment yet. I know I got to go ahead and give the assignment. I, I've got the McDonald's theme in my mind playing altered for some reason. It's just like, ba 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 ba. we screwed it up, but so sorry. We, <laughs> we, we, uh, we went over time again, but yeah, if we were to kind of follow up with the assignment. So for you addicts out there, kind of expanding what we talked about before, sit down and actually write out, you know, what, get honest with yourself. What do you find attractive now? If you're being real, okay, get honest with yourself. Don't write down what it should be. That's, a, that's the second part of the assignment. What right now attracts you to your partner? And, and, 
and where does where does the weight of that attraction lie and then you and then as you as you make that list or once you've made that list then sit down and write you know what kind of woman would you want to be with you know what would you want to be attracted to you know if you were to take what you have learned today what would be those elements those characteristics those attributes about a person other than just the physical or the sexual or or things oriented along those lines what would that person be like what would be those attributes and then i think for you spouses it's you know we we want to give you something to be empowered with as well and this can evolve into a cool discussion if you guys are are willing and it's a safe place to have it but what would you like your spouse to be attracted to about you right what are the elements or the pieces of you that you would like your your spouse to be able to appreciate outside of what they already do you know how can we deepen this this attraction and 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 globalize it so that we're really seeing one another as partners as who we really are right not just as not just as what our brain may be telling us now yes yep i love it and that's and that's been a big part of uh, my relationship with my wife uh, the two of us together we see we see today so much more in each other than we ever did and I find I find myself a lot of times I'll give my wife a you know a fist bump and I'll just say, "Man, that was so sm- what you just said was so smart. How did you come up with that? You are you're brilliant." And then I put my fist out and give her a fist bump, and it's really genuine. It's like she amazes me. And yeah. when I do that fist bump, that is part a big part of my attraction to her, her yeah. mind, her compassion, her intelligence, her wisdom, mm-hmm. her creativity. All these things I see today, and it's like that is exciting. It's yes. Like, wow, she is amazing. Absolutely. And we encourage you to sit down and start to talk about those things and see those things in each other and start to recognize. Look at the places maybe you've been blind that you're not seeing. And yeah. what, what ways would you like to be seen? You yeah. Know? I mean, kind of addressing that, I guess maybe we'll end with this because we're pushing 40 minutes now. (laughs) But, uh, you know, the phrase that comes to mind is you have to, I think, ask yourself, you know, what what we hear from you clients all the time is, you know, I was I ever attracted going to Mark's story? Was I ever attracted to my partner? Maybe you need to be asking yourself, yourself the question, have you ever really seen your partner? Yes. Have you ever really taken a look? And if if you have, have you done so recently? Because I think the more you're able to reflect on that and look at that piece, the the less this becomes an irreparable, you know, end game kind of situation. And the more it becomes, again, this is something, th- this relationship, if it's going to work, if this marriage is going to be saved, if recovery is going to work for you, if any relationship is to be sustainable, those relationships are where people choose each other. And you can only do that if it, you can only choose what you can see. Yep. Choose each other and choose all of each other. Absolutely. You know what that is. Absolutely. Everybody, thanks so much for tuning in today. Have a great rest of your day, and uh, we will catch you next week. Yep. See you next week. Bye-bye. That's all for today. Thanks for joining us. And remember, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. It's connection. Together, we can do the impossible. To learn more about Mark and Steve and to listen to more podcast episodes, visit us at pbscpodcast.com.
Everything expressed on the PBSC podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the participants and is for informational and educational purposes only. This podcast should not be considered mental health therapy or as a substitute thereof. It is strongly recommended that you seek out the clinical guidance of an individual qualified mental health professional. If you're experiencing thoughts of suicide, self-harm, or a desire to harm others, please dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency room.